Good morning. It is good to be with you guys this morning. Um, first time here. My wife Carol is here, is with, with me as well. Just a short clarification. We're going to do the perspectives class at LBC and um, starts on Monday evening, August 23rd. So that'll be at LBC uh, this, this semester as well. Um, I've heard the word obedience going around a couple of times this morning already. It's been interesting because um, over the past three weeks, you had a series on Jesus' passion through the book of uh, chapter, John chapter 17. And I want, want to add another piece of Jesus' passion and his, today his passion for obedience. And um, it's just interesting to see how even the songs that we've sung have sort of got, gotten us there already. Uh, I noticed that there are, there's a wide range of age groups in here, so I'd like to start with, all right, let's, let's, let's just do this. Okay, let's, how many of you guys familiar with Simon Says? All right, for those of you who are brave enough, Simon Says, stand up. You guys know how it works, right? Simon Says, do this. Simon Says, do this. Simon Says, do this. Do this. Oh, do this. Simon says, do this. Simon says, sit down. <laughs> okay, with all apologies to anyone named Simon, who cares what Simon says? I want to know what God says and do what he tells us to do. If, and as Pastor Keith said with that last song, when we think about the anticipation of Jesus is coming again, shouldn't that inform our behavior as well as our heart? You know, whether we're, you know, the kids are coming or a vacation or whatever it is, when Jesus shows up, we are going to leap for joy and be so excited. And there's also going to be that moment was, okay, what was I doing when he came? Okay. And, and so as we think about um, what God says and obedience, I want to think about, you know, what is our motive for obedience? What are some of the reasons why we would obey God? So, uh, anybody here um, take any of my classes? Anyone been, any LBC grads here? Or anyone who's taken any classes? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, especially since my, well, my doctorate degree was in missiology, the study of missions, but my master's degree is in teaching English as a second language. I have had, I've been accused of being the uh, grammar policeman. Okay. Um, grammar is very important to me. And I would hope it would be important to you. But you, know, you live in a place like Lancaster County where you hear such things as, throw me down the stairs my hat once. Throw me down the stairs my hat once. Which, if you understand the Germanic influence on English, makes a little bit of sense, the word order and all that. But when it comes to grammar and my students, my students will have to make a decision about how closely they follow the rules of grammar. And when they do so, they're considering two things. One, they're considering me, their instructor who is giving them their grade, which is the second thing, they're considering the consequences of not using good grammar. And so it is when we decide whether or not to obey God, we're, we're making two decisions we're deciding what is my view of God and what is my view of the consequences of not obeying him. 
So keep that in mind as we go through this, uh, thinking through whether or not to obey. Um, we're going to look at a couple of verses initially in, in Matthew, but I'm going to skip around, so, um, so just follow along with me. We're going to start in, in Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's given three chapters, all these things about how we are to live. And at the end of Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, this is what we read. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Okay, keep in mind that thought about authority. When we think about obedience, our if we're going to obey, we have to think about who's the authority. One of my concerns today is that you see more and more, I'll even say Christians, living lives of uncertain authority. We have a sense of, don't tell me what to do. Who are you to tell me what to do? What is our objective basis, our objective authority to inform our decision makings when it comes to obedience? Jesus taught as one with authority. And likewise, at the very end of Matthew, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, right? Well, let's back up even a couple of verses and start at Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. And this is what we read. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Obedience. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority has been given. And he uses that authority. And this is what authority is allowed to do, to give commands, to tell people what to do. What good is having authority if you don't tell people what to do, if you don't exercise that authority. You guys know people who have authority and they just sit there and twiddle their thumbs. They don't do anything with that authority. And opportunities are lost. So as we go through this, I want to look at four different things. First of all, what is our motive for obedience? Why, why obey? Really, there's only one. We'll get to that in a moment. Secondly, what are the obstacles to obedience? What are the blessings of obedience? And finally, what is your call to obedience, even here at Keystone Church, individually and collectively? So when it comes to motive for obedience, there really is only one, and that is to honor God. If we are obeying for another reason, we have to ask ourselves, what are we trying to get? Because there's, I would draw a distinction between honoring God and pleasing God. Now, Scripture does tell us there are verses about pleasing God. But here's my concern about trying to please someone. I know within me, I, I'm a words of affirmation guy. I love it when someone comes up and tells me, good job, Ed. And I know I just risked jeopardizing any comments that I get after the sermon today. <laughs> but one of the dangers I fall into is doing something to please someone in order to get something back from that person, whether it be words of affirmation or something else. But if I, the difference of if I seek to honor God, it's a one-way action, a one-way behavior, and it stops. My motive is to honor God. 
Full stop. Period. End. Because if I seek to please him in order to get something from him, now I've entered into a performance-based relationship, and that's not healthy, and it's not God-honoring. So it's seeking to give it. Think about Joshua 24, 15. Remember that verse, choose you this day whom you will serve? What led up to that were several, all the verses about rehearsing about what God had done, remembering what God had done. And as we saw in Matthew 7, you know, when the, in, in Matthew uh, 28, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And in Joshua, rehearsing all that God had done, worshiping God for all he had done, then comes the challenge. All right, now that you remember all that God has done, choose this day whom you will serve. What your, what's your behavior going to be based on your theology, based on worshiping God? And what we find here is that when we focus on God, obedience actually becomes attractive. Typically, when we think about obedience, it's not something that I am so excited to obey. But when we say the motive is to honor God, obedience becomes attractive. So why don't we, do, why don't we obey? Let's look at some of the obstacles to obedience. And the first one's pretty obvious, I would say, and it's pride, promoting myself. We have a tendency to think about, especially we Americans, I'll say, have you ever heard of the book The Ugly American? written uh, probably about 50, 60 years ago, I guess now, uh, about someone serve, uh, living in Southeast Asia. I'm an American. I have my rights. And we tend to, and this is happening more and more, I would say, in our culture. We tend to focus on my rights, my rights. I have my rights, rather than thinking my purpose, my purpose. My purpose is to honor God, and if I focus more on my purpose, then I care less about my rights because my rights are sub subservient to honoring God and obeying him. Does that make sense? But if I'm trying to promote myself, that's going to create an obstacle to obedience. It reveals an un a lack of understanding of who God is and what Christ has done. Even when we think about inconvenience, inconvenience is really just another, another form of pride. It's inconvenient for me to obey God because something I don't want to have happen might happen. Or maybe just not now. Another obstacle to obedience is fear. Not promoting myself, but protecting myself. But God, if I do that, something bad might happen. Last week I was speaking at another church and it was an open forum for questions and I had someone ask me, well, shouldn't we consider how dangerous a place is before, before we send someone there? It's a valid point. We should consider it, but it should not be the determining factor. Have you ever heard this said before? That the safest place is the center of God's will. To which I would say, yeah, I'm not sure I see that in Scripture. It may not be the safest place, but it is the best place. Just ask our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world whether it's the safest place as they walk in the center of his will. You see, when we try to protect ourselves, we may be missing out on being in the center of God's will and doing exactly what he wants us to do and honoring him in our obedience. Yet, either promoting ourselves or sometimes protecting ourselves. We don't, have, we don't want to look at the consequences. We want to look at God first. Another obstacle is relying on our own effort 
what happens here is we get frustrated and we get tired trying to live this life of obedience in our own strength. And we get tired and we give up. We think, I can't do this. Actually, uh, there's, in my briefcase, there's a little Tupperware thing there I forgot to bring up here. Have you guys, um, this, this season right now is one of my favorite seasons right now because of this right here. I have a peach. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but it was probably a peach in the garden because really, who would be tempted by an apple when, there, when a peach was available? Have you ever been in a peach orchard? A friend of mine, Jim Rhodes, who taught one of the lessons at Perspectives a number of years ago, sharing this lesson about, took a bunch of his students into the, the orchard late at night. He said, listen very carefully. Listen to the trees. Fruit. Fruit. The trees are working to produce fruit. No, that's not how fruit is grown. It is a natural byproduct of the growth within the tree that fruit is produced. And so it is with our obedience. If we try to produce obedience in our lives, we get tired, we get weary, we get frustrated. When in fact, the growth, the obedience that comes from within our lives is a natural, supernatural byproduct of our walking closely with God. But when we try to produce a life of obedience in our own strength, we're doomed to fail and be frustrated. Our focus needs to, again, continually be on walking closely with God and allowing ourselves to be led by him in these acts of obedience. Paul confronted the Galatians with this in chapter 3. In chapter 3, Galatians 1 through 3, he wrote this, You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? In other words, having come to Christ by grace through faith, why are you now again returning to living a life by works? When Carol and I do premarital counseling with couples, one of the things that we try to emphasize is that the relationship, have you ever heard that a marriage relationship should be 50-50? It sounds right, it sounds good, right? But the problem with that is it becomes a performance-based relationship. If I'm at 65, then I'm wondering, hey, it's time for her to kick it up a little bit. Or the other way is like, I'm feeling a little bit nervous because I'm not doing as much as I should be when I see in Scripture, modeled by Jesus Christ, a life of I'm going to give 100% and expect nothing in return so that there is freedom to respond, not an expectation or obligation. And likewise, the Galatians had fallen into this, well, God will be pleased with me if I do this, rather than God gave me everything, even if I give him nothing in return. But because of that freedom, I am free to love him as his slave. I choose to obey. I choose to do what he calls me to do, not because I have to earn something from him, but because I've already received something from him. And in a similar way, Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, 
Now, yesterday was our daughters, our twins' birthdays. Their names are Grace and Faith. This is their verse. Their verse is, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So by the way, grace was 25 minutes older than faith because theologically, grace comes before faith. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, poem, masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to obey, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But keep in mind the order again. Our salvation calls us into the family of God. Being in the family of God allows us to honor God in obedience. See, I was raised in a church-going family that taught a church that was, if you do enough good works, more than your bad works, then maybe, hopefully, you will get into heaven. Well, Scripture says there is no amount of good works that you can do that make it good enough for you to get into heaven. That's why Jesus died for us. And so when we receive that gift of eternal life, we are free to say thank you in our obedience in how we live. That salvation and the sanctification are both based on grace. And so it is we don't want to be, allow pride, fear, self-effort to keep us from obeying God. There's one more obstacle to obedience, and it's authority issues. I mentioned authority earlier. I have an example of someone who served with us on the mission field in Southeast Asia. And when he was on a team, and he really struggled with the team leader. And I was the team leader's authority, the area leader, and so this person came to me with his complaint and I showed up on my annual visit and we worked, had to do some mediation and I eventually decided, okay, why don't we just take you off of the team and you'll report directly to me. Well, up until that time, I was his best friend, but as soon as I became his direct accountability authority, now I was the problem. And that pattern moved up every level, every time the next level of authority assumed authority. Now that person became the problem. It became very evident that this individual had an authority issue. Even to the point when, they, when that person was going back to the U.S. for home assignment and given the requirement of dealing with some of this, you know what his response was? He threatened to sue our organization and me in particular. Later on, I got a, re a request from another agency that he was trying to join to come to, back to the, 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 where he was serving before. And, you know, when you fill out those reference forms, it says whether or not the person has waived their right to confidentiality. He didn't sign that. And so every, I answered all the questions and expressed my honest concerns about him. But when I learned that he was going to also be able to see that reference form, I took out several key paragraphs and simply inserted the line, Paragraph removed because the candidate refused to waive her confidentiality. To waive confidentiality. Because I knew the danger that I would have been in if I had allowed that to go. So my point is, what is your view of authority? How do you feel when someone tells you to do something? Whether it be your employer, your parent, your spouse. You know, when, when Scripture tells us to submit one to another, that word submission causes some problems for some of us, doesn't it? And again, when we do premarital counseling, this word submission is one that we really like to focus on because submission has everything to do with function and nothing to do with value. 
When a wife is told to submit to her husband, when an employee is told to submit to an employer or child to a parent, it's not because there's greater value in those roles, but it's a matter of function, just like in the military and, if I may, even like in the Trinity. When Jesus says he does the Father's will, he submits to the Father, that doesn't make him any less God. When the Spirit seeks to glorify the Son, it doesn't make him any less God. It's a matter of what is that person's function at that time. And so it is with submission, it reveals to us and to others our view of authority. So let's, let's move on. Let's talk about, we've talked about the motive to honor God, talked about obstacles, but what about the blessings? Have you thought about what it, why obedience can be a blessing? Well, the first blessing of obedience is the same as the motive. It's honoring God. We get to honor God. We get to honor God through our obedience. Please let that soak in a little bit. I get to honor God. Little old me, in my simple acts of obedience, I get to honor God. Think about the reverse. What does it mean to say no to God? How arrogant of me to say no to God. Because, it, again, it reveals my view of him if I, if I do that. Am I, am I seeking to honor him? Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, we read, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You're sitting in a church right now. It's a fairly good chance that you believe that God exists. But what about the second part? Are you earnestly seeking him? The book that Pastor Keith held up that I wrote, Knowing God to Make Him Known. This is, this is what our, we are to do as believers. We are to seek to know God so that we can make him known to others. The more we know him, the more we will desire and will make him known to others. See, here, here's, the, the, here's what we often do as believers. You guys are familiar with the whole Martha and Mary thing, right? Uh, Martha is busy about getting things ready in the kitchen and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's upset. Jesus, tell Mary to kick, get in gear. And Jesus says to, Mary, to Martha, 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 Mary has chosen the better thing. It's not that doing is wrong. And we make this dichotomy between being, sitting at Jesus' feet, and doing good things for him. And I would suggest that before we can do what he wants us to do, before we're obedient, we have to be who we are in Christ. But in order to be who we are in Christ, we have to know who God is. Romans 8.29 says that we are to be conformed to the image of his Son. Well, how are we going to be conformed to that image if we don't know what that image is? And so this is why it's so important to know God in all of his attributes so that we can become more like him, so that we can do what he's called us to do. We tend to sometimes want to be obedient without doing those other things, and that's what puts a weight on our shoulders. We don't have a clear image of who God is, and it doesn't inform who we are becoming in Christ and we're just trying to do to please. Let me read a passage from John chapter 14. 
So the past three weeks, you looked at John 17, the end of the, the priestly prayer at the end of that upper room discourse. So this is earlier in that same upper room discourse. And I'm going to read John 14, verses 15 to 21. If you love me, keep my commands. Okay, we stop right there, and it sounds like, okay, so God, you're making, making this a performance-based relationship, right? That if I don't do your commands, then you won't love me? No, that's not what he's saying. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. This is how you will demonstrate that you love me. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and, stop and show myself to them. And again, this relationship of knowing God and obeying him. I love him, I know him, I obey him. It's, it's really it's not even a decision because it's that fruit that's growing naturally out of my growth of knowing him. I used to struggle with the, the hymn, Trust and Obey. Do you remember that hymn? Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And I'm thinking, that sounds very performance-based to me until I get it in context here that my trusting and obeying are linked the more I trust God, I will obey. I will. It's, an, it's a response. Part of it, it's, again, not the per performance-based relationship. Well, another blessing of obedience is protection. Obedience is a response to a command. You, know, how, you don't obey something. I mean, you might do something, but if it's not a command, then how are you going to obey? You have to have a command to obey. And God's commands are ultimately for his glory, but they are also for our protection. I noticed that you guys have a really cool playground outside here. We're actually thinking about doing something like that, for getting something for our grandkids, our growing number of grandchildren <laughs> that we have. Um, recently in Glynis, a new huge playground was opened up. And I, I love these playgrounds. They're great places to meet and have conversations. But I remember, it reminds me of a research study that was done at one time of a playground outside of an elementary school. And the uh, kids were told, you can go out on recess, you know, go out and play. But there was no fence around the school or around the playground, and so they tend to just play very closely to the school until the fence was built. And now they say, oh, now we know what our limits are. I mean, they didn't say those words. But there's a fence. I can play anywhere I want within the fence. And so there was freedom with the limit. And so it is with God's commands. They are for our protection. They give us freedom within his limits, the commands that he gives us. So when, when we get a command, and kids, can I say this? When your parents tell you to do something, you may not understand the protective element of their commands, but they're there. Don't do this. It's probably for your protection as well as some other things that might be going on there. So we need to not look at the consequences. We need to look at God and trust him with his commands. To obey is better than sacrifice, Psalm 51 says. Um, so why do we follow people? Why do we obey God? Why do we obey others? Uh, in my leadership class, we talk about three keys of leadership. If you want people to follow you, to obey you, to do what you want them to do, 
One is going to be competence. Do you have the competence in this area that you're telling them to do something in? Second is relationship. I do it because I like the guy. But then there's that third one, that authority card. Have you ever heard this or maybe even said it yourself? Because I'm your father, that's why. That's the authority card. Now, in our culture, we don't like to play the authority card or have it played on us, but it needs to be there. And God has the ultimate authority card, but he also has the relationship card. Oh, and by the way, he has the competence card. He's, there's nothing that we can experience that Jesus hasn't been tempted in the same way as we are. One more thing I want to talk about in terms of blessings of obedience, and it's peace. I might be stepping on a few toes here, but I've had many people say to me when they're making a decision, well, I didn't have peace about it, so I didn't do it. But I'm not sure the scripture says that we are guaranteed peace before the decision, although we have peace in the decision and in the obedience. And I'm not sure that I would have peace about doing something dangerous. I, I remember in 1989 when we evacuated China because of what was going on politically and militarily in the country, coming back to the U.S., and then for two months wondering what, and praying, should we go back to China? And we felt convinced of the Lord that that was what he wanted us to do. But I will tell you this, getting on the airplane to go back was not something I was very... I, I, mean, I was at peace, but I didn't feel peace, if that makes sense. And I want to caution us against making a decision where... Sometimes we say, oh, I did feel peace about it. That, I'm not sure scripture says that that peace is always going to be there beforehand. But it will come afterwards. And then also along with that, you know what else obedience does? Is it blesses other people. My obedience will bless other pe people. It brings honor to God, but it will also bless others because they're going to enjoy my obedience and what God's called me to do. Likewise, if I don't obey God, there may be others who are missing out on a blessing because of my disobedience. So let's, let's wrap up here with talking about a call to obedience, even here for you individually and perhaps collectively as a church. What you do communicates obedience or disobedience. Obedience only comes after being taught or some form of communication. Think about um, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, teaching them to obey all the commands that I've given to them. Obedience. Jesus said in um, a parable in Matthew 21, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Which was more important, what was said or what was done? And how often are we guilty of the second, saying, yes, I will do that, but not doing it? When you think about different forms of disobedience, those of you who are parents are well familiar with this. Um, one of the first ones that comes up is delayed obedience. Okay. Without trying to interfere with parenting styles, have you ever done this? One... Two, two and a half. <laughs> what you're doing with that is teaching delayed obedience, which is disobedience. 
The story that one missionary told goes as follows. A missionary looked out the front door to see his child playing beneath a tree in the yard. On the branch over the child was a very large and deadly snake. The father called to his son, Johnny, drop on your knees and crawl to me. Johnny did as his father said, and once he was out of range, his father explained the reason for his sudden and seemingly weird command. The point, I would tell my children, is that you must always obey me right away without question. You may have questions later. What might have happened if the boy had said, why? And I wonder, too, how many times we hear God say, do this, and we say, why? Rather than, yes, God, yes, Lord. And that delayed obedience. Or how about this one, selective obedience. You're calling your child, and you're saying, look at me, and you know that they hear your words, but the child is not looking at you. It is a conscious decision to say no. It's, it's disobedience. And it really, it's pride. I'm going to decide when I want to look up and when I don't want to look up. I'm going to put myself above the person speaking to me. God says to you, hey, I want to talk to you. Not now, Lord. I know you're going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. No, 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 not listening. And it's pride on my part. It's idolatry on my part. I don't want to, as opposed to, he is worthy. I don't want to versus he is worthy. He is God. So the title of this sermon initially was, what is your so what? What is your so what? I want to give some examples of people who entered God's call with a so followed by obedience. Beginning in Genesis chapter 7, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And one of my favorites, Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, if you take the perspectives class, lesson one will focus on Genesis 12. You see the, chapter, the, the title of perspectives lesson one is, the living God is a missionary God. He didn't become a missionary God when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He has always been a missionary God. I have sometimes been accused of, being, of seeing missions in the Bible because I'm the missions guy. I'm the missions guy because missions is in the Bible. And so here's, here it is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. So, um, and the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. So Abram went. So Abram went. So simple. As the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. We have some um, missionaries that are sending at our church right now that are probably close to uh, 70s who he said recently, I wish more people my age would get up and go. We're not just talking about the 18 to 25-year-olds like we see in the video here. There is no age limit to, God, to obe obeying God, cross-culturally or otherwise. 
Likewise, Moses, when in, in um, Exodus 24, it says, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Pastor, wouldn't it be a great thing to have a congregation say, everything the Lord said, we will do. And one, uh, one more here, Acts 13, verses 1 to 4. You know, we are most vulnerable when we are worshiping. When we are worshiping God, we are most vulnerable to hearing him say what he wants us to do. But it's also the time, hopefully, that we are most open to that. And in Acts 13, it says, the elders were together praying, and while they were praying and worshiping God, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have for them. They laid hands on them, and it says, the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went. How would it be if the elders of this church walked up to you, the two, maybe we'll just say two, and we'll two intimidating, and said, um, you know, we've been praying and fasting and worshiping, and we have sensed from the Holy Spirit that it, we want to send you to country X. How do you think that would come across? Well, to be honest, if... If you were walking closely with the Lord at the same time, your response would probably be something like, oh, so that's what God's doing. I knew something was going on, but I wasn't quite clear, and now that makes total sense. Let's talk and let's pray together. As opposed to, what? I had no idea what was going on. While they were worshiping and praying, God said to them, so what does obedience at Keystone look like? I went to your website and I found that it says the following, Keystone Church exists to glorify God. Cool. And what is most important to us? There are seven things, these are the things that are most important. And can I say in the context of right now, these are the seven ways that you can obey God in this context? The Bible. What does obedience to this value look like for you? Christ-centered living. Dependency on God for every area of our lives. Prayer. Equipping believers for a passion-driven, gift-based ministry. And finally, missions, taking Christ to the nations by giving, praying, and going. I know you've got, you got several great programs here. You've got uh, care groups, different ways to connect. Um, and these, these are great for giving opportunities to hear, encourage, Obey, but what would it take to develop a culture of evangelism or a culture of discipleship or a culture of obedience in a church like this church? How to cultivate, to grow, to continue to grow in these areas? Because obedience needs to be a lifestyle. Obedience needs to be a lifestyle, not just something that, I'm okay, I'm going to wake up this morning, I'm going to obey in these areas. No, it, as we grow like this peach, we are growing in obedience. It's part of who we are. And the only way that's going to happen is if we continue to grow in our understanding of who God is and what our relationship with him is and can and should be. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and so should our obedience. The motive for obedience is simply to honor God. There are so many obstacles, there are so many blessings. But 
my challenge to you right now is to, as I close in prayer in a moment here, is to listen. God, what is it you are asking me to obey you in even today? Where have I not been disobeying? In fact, if I don't want to obey God, I probably have to review my image of God. If there's an area where you're disobedient, ask yourself, what is that saying about my view of God? Do I fear him in an unhealthy manner? Is he a loving God or isn't he a loving God? Does he have authority or doesn't he have authority? So I'll close with three questions before I pray. First, what obedience is easier for you and what obedience is difficult for you? What are the motivators for disobedience? Is it pride or fear or your ego or weariness? Which of God's attributes most draws you to obedience of his commands? When you think about all the different attributes of God, which attributes help you to obey him? Our focus needs to be on God. Only then will we best be positioned to hear and obey what kind of God is calling you to obedience. And finally, how can you as a church and as individuals continue to build a culture of evangelism, discipleship, and obedience here at Keystone? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are God and that you love us with an everlasting love. But you also have a purpose for us and that purpose is to bring honor to you, to a world that desperately needs to know, desperately needs to know you. Help us individually, collectively, to be great representatives of Jesus Christ that as we proclaim Christ, we would present Christ in how we live. Help us to honor you in our daily decisions as we exercise authority, as we respond to authority, yours and others. Father, give us what we need. Give us grace. Give us courage to obey that we might honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.